0: morning good morning, <clears throat> morning. Oh, I did not come out the way I planned. oh hi, <laughs> getting waves here um, welcome uh, and uh, my thanks to Pastor Paul uh, for that that reminder that explanation and uh, and that that prayer and we covet your prayer and thank you. Thank you. And that's on behalf of Jennifer and I. I think um, this sabbatical is is very important uh, to to us as a couple and us as a family um, and not just to me. So uh, we are very grateful and um, are prayerful and looking forward to what God has in store both uh, for for us during that time and for Stanley Park Baptist Church during that time. As Paul said, we've got uh, some stellar preaching lined up uh, and really looking forward to what what God is going to be doing here uh, during that time. Um, A <clears throat> couple quick announcements here before we get into things. Uh, today is going to be part two of our children's uh, baptism class, children and youth. Uh, so that's going to happen over in the Sunday school rooms uh, with Pastor Paul and, and Pastor Peter uh, over there afterwards. This is also going to be part one of the the adult class. For any adults who are interested in baptism, we'll be meeting through this door right here in the parlor, uh, following the service. So uh, if, if you're interested in, in learning more about baptism uh, or, or you are planning to be baptized, please join us uh, for, for those times today. Uh, I also want to give a quick plug for gray matters tomorrow night. Uh, our brother Mark Cebulski will be de- delivering a talk entitled, the, the Triune God, Divine Plurality in the Old Testament. Uh, it's it's going to be great, and I would encourage everyone to, to either attend uh, virtually. We have that option. I think this is going to be the first hybrid meeting that they're having, so you can tune in virtually or attend here in person uh, tomorrow night uh, at 7 o'clock. Uh, that's Great Matters. I want to begin today with this passage. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And uh, Paul begins this letter to the Romans in a very interesting way. He begins by explaining how God's design and God's divine nature are revealed in the physical, material universe. And so beginning at verse 18, I believe I have this on the slide as well, This, this is what we read. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the slide here. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do so that they do what ought not to be done. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. O oh Canada our national anthem. We, we sing that, we know that. I learned it in both French and English. In fact, it was originally written in French in 1880. 140, what's the math on that? I wrote it down, 142 years ago? Um, it's later translated into English, and there's been different versions of it, but um, this, of course, is, is our national anthem, Oh, Canada. We know it well and and we probably without realizing it we, we sing a prayer as part of our national anthem a prayer to god god keep our land glorious and free god keep our land glorious and free glorious and free It seems with every day that passes, those two adjectives, glorious and free, describe this country less and less. Glorious and free. (laughs) It seems to me the glory, whatever that was, has long since faded away. And the freedom and truth in our country is being traded away for lies. In fact, I think Paul's description of the godlessness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness that we just read there in Romans 1 is a much more accurate description of the state of affairs in Canada right now. Specifically, verse 25, where we read, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Almost three years ago, our board of deacons decided to adopt a church statement clarifying what we believe the Bible teaches about sexuality and gender. And uh, why do we do this? Well, as the preamble of our statement reads, we did this so that church members will know how best to live lives that are pleasing to God, for the church's leaders so that their teaching and decisions will be sound, and for the world outside the church so that the church's testimony to them about God will accurately reflect the truth. The preamble goes on to read this. In the past 30 years or so, Canadian culture and Western culture generally have undergone major changes in attitudes towards sexual orientation. More recently, attitudes towards gender identity have also changed suddenly and radically. While Christian teachings on these subjects were previously widely shared in Western societies, cultural authorities now portray them as outdated and hateful. Even in the church, there is widespread confusion on these matters. Well, as of about a week and a half ago, Christian teachings considered outdated and hateful by by cultural authorities are now considered myths and stereotypes by governmental authorities and Canadian law. Uh, less than two weeks ago, sorry, less than two months ago, on November the 29th, 2021, a bill to ban conversion therapy was introduced by the Justice Minister in the House of Commons. In a process that usually takes months, the House of Commons, and the Senate in just over one week. And it passed without discussion, without debate, without study, or any change proposed. It passed unanimously without a single vote of opposition. Subsequently, this bill received royal assent and came into force on January 7th, 2022, just a few days ago. Bill C-4 is different from previous bills, uh, including Bill C-6, which was very similar. It was its predecessor, in that this ban, this conversion therapy bill, banning conversion therapy for both adults and now minors are included in that, not just for adults, but conversion therapy is banned for children as well. And as with previous bills, as, as evangelical Christians and as an evangelical church, we are deeply concerned about the overly broad definition of conversion therapy laid out in this bill, which could capture sincere religious expression and biblical teaching. And so for the purposes of this morning, just so that we can all see what this bill says, I'm going to bring it up here on the slide. The definition of conversion therapy set out in Bill C-4 reads as follows. Conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to... A. Change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. B. Change a person's gender identity to cisgender, which, by the way, is the opposite of transgender. It describes a person whose gender identity is the same as their sex assigned at birth. C. Change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to their sex assigned at birth. D. Repress or reduce non heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. Repress a person's non-cisgender identity or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Now, that's pretty broad. It it remains really unclear to to us, to parents, to to pastors, to, to counselors, to mentors, about how these terms are to be understood. Now, lawmakers have assured constituents that this bill only seeks to criminalize coercive or threatening practices, treatments, and services, and that it wouldn't apply to a person who sought out a pastor or a parent for help in in living in alignment with their biological sex. However, no assurances to that end actually appear in the language of the bill. Many Christians are also very disturbed about the ideological bias that is clearly expressed in the preamble to this bill. And I want to show it to you here. Here's what it says. The preamble. Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to the persons who are subjected to it, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society, because among other things it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth That heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. And whereas, in light of those harms, it is important to discourage and denounce the provision of conversion therapy in order to protect the human dignity and equality of all Canadians. I cut it off there to refer to beliefs our beliefs once universally and still broadly held by many Canadians as myths and stereotypes is in and of itself a flagrant act of intolerance causing harm and potential offense to those who hold them the very thing by the way that the bill allegedly attempts to prohibit in order what to protect Human dignity and what the equality of all Canadians. Okay, if if this doesn't deeply offend and disturb us as Christians, we've got a problem because this bill is directly denouncing, discrediting, and dismissing as myth not just the basic teaching of biology but the basic teaching of the Bible, which. Really, the biological argument is the biblical argument. God created our biology, and we're going to see that today. As such, this is a direct attack on truth, on the Word of God, on biblical Christianity. It's, a, it's an attack on parental rights, and frankly, our freedom as Canadians, as Christian Canadians... It's an attack on our freedom of religion and our freedom of expression here in this country. So what do we do? What do we do? How should we respond? Sadly, there, there are many in the church today who, who really don't know what to believe about this or what their response to these very contentious issues ought to be. There are other Christians who've had um, unfortunate knee-jerk reactions and have said and done things that have been hateful and hurtful to others, in fact, harmful and disgraceful to the cause of Christ and the church. Consequently, evangelical Christians have often been branded as backward thinking on moral issues, bigoted about homosexuality and and seen as as, uh, biased uh, towards transgender people, or biased against transgender people. There are others on the opposite end of the spectrum who have taken the approach of of fully embracing, affirming, and indeed celebrating the lifestyles and practices of the LGBTQ communities. So I guess my question for us today is where do we stand? And I pray you know the answer, because that's what I want to do with the rest of the time we have today, is look to the answer, which is the unchanging truth of God's Word. Our statement says it. God's Word doesn't change, even as the culture does, even as thinking does, even as as definitions do. God's truth never changes. God never changes. He has given us His Word And we, as His followers, followers of Christ, must be clear about and stand firm upon the truth of God's Word, now more than ever. Uh, According to our statement, this, we say this, We know God and His will for us through His Word, the Bible. It is the final authority on every matter it addresses, including matters of gender and sexuality. Neither human writings, nor custom, nor tradition, nor the majority opinion, nor the thinking of our own time and place, nor even the decisions of governments or courts are able to overturn the truth of God's word. We seek to live at peace with everyone so far as it depends on us and to live in such a way that our lives lead people to give glory to our Father in heaven. At the same time, Jesus warned us that his followers would be persecuted and misunderstood. When forced to choose, We must obey God's word rather than human authorities or opinions. Um, So I guess the question is, what does God's word say about the transgender issue? Well, the word transgender, of course, is, is never mentioned in Scripture, but the Bible does speak directly to the underlying issues of God's created order, gender, and sexuality. So we start at the beginning in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the universe. He created the heavens and the earth, and, and He separated the heavens from the earth. And then He created the light and separated the light from the night. He created the waters and separated the waters from the ground. And He created creatures and separated humans, human beings, from animals. And then we we read this in Genesis 126, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then as we see in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good, very good in his likeness. In his very image, God designed and created people of two genders, two sexes of people, male and female. We're not just people who happen to have male or female genitalia. We are created male and female, and our biological sex in the Bible's under is not only fundamental to who we are, but it also reflects who God is and the nature of his image in which we've been made. And as we see in the New Testament, the distinction between male and female is fundamental in contributing to the picture of the gospel and to the meaning and purpose of life on earth. Which is why in Matthew 19, Jesus recites Genesis 1.27, affirming our God-given biological sex. Jesus says, haven't you read? At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Because those separate and distinct Man and woman come together to create something more whole than by themselves. Which is why Jesus continues by explaining God's design for marriage. Quoting Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You see, by following the gender role that correlates with our biological sex, A man and a woman can enter into the exclusive, lifelong covenant relationship that is marriage, ordained by God, and can begin a family, the fundamental unit of society. This idea is called, of course, gender complementarity, and it is clearly taught all throughout the Bible. In Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32, the Apostle Paul also quotes Genesis 2.24 when he writes, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But then he goes on to say this, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, Paul is saying that the distinction between men and women reflects the distinction between God and humans. And the coming together of a man and woman in the deep union of marriage is a reflection of God's desire for us to be one, united with Him through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that's made possible, through faith in Jesus, which is why, by the way, in Revelation, which we know very well, don't we, John looks ahead to the wedding of the Lamb, and what does he call Christ church? What does he call us? The bride, the bride of Christ. Beautifully dressed for her husband. Do you see the significance of this? The picture of the church as the bride of Christ, it only works because of the difference of the sexes. It requires the union of two distinct and different but complementary others, parties coming together. Human beings made in the image of God are embodied sexual creatures, and submission to our creator, God, means accepting our bodies and our biological sex as central to God's design and our identity. We have to see that as a precious gift given for our good and for God's glory, which is why in the beginning when God saw all that he had made, including man and woman, what did he say? He said it was very good, very good, until (laughs) Genesis 3. Right? Things were okay until then when the serpent comes along. And what does he do? He tempts Eve to disobey. How? By getting her to question God's word. Here's what we read Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? See what he does? He he takes God's word and twists it into the lie in verse 4 that you will not certainly die like God's told you. No, no. He only told you not to eat fruit from the middle tree because he knows that when you do, you will be like God. Dangling, tempting them to be like God. See, Satan hates God. Hates God. All of his creation, especially people made in his image, male and female. We remind Satan of God. He hates that. And so he does anything he can to deceive, to twist, to break, to kill people. And so what happens? We know what happens. Adam and Eve fall into temptation. They disobey God leaving all humanity to follow under the curse of sin, sin that separates us from God and brings disorder, distortion, brokenness of every kind, physical brokenness, mental brokenness, emotional brokenness, spiritual brokenness, social brokenness, and yes, sexual brokenness. You know, it really shouldn't surprise us that the deceiver whispers to some people, Regarding their sex, did God actually say? Did He really say this is how you're made? Regarding your gender, did did He really say that? So to bring it back to the transgender issue, the question and the key question is, is this. Is my gender determined by my decision in my mind or by God's design in my nature? Now, for people who don't believe in God... Uh, they either ignore him or reject him, it would seem to make perfect sense that my decision should be the ultimate factor, right? I should get to be my own God just as Eve wanted to be. I should get to call the shots because it's my life, it's my body, and therefore it's my choice what I do with it and how I define it. So if I feel like a gender other than how I was born and, and want to express myself that way, well, that's my call. It's all about individual autonomy. Gender self-determination, which as we've seen is being embraced as a virtuous and human right enforced by law in Canadian society. So what does the Bible say about this? Well, the Bible never gives any indication that a person's perceived gender should differ from their biological sex. I appreciate the way uh, Sam Albury Who, by the way, he's a pastor, apologist, speaker, and author of uh, Is God Anti-Gay? And What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. These are two of his popular books. Here's how he summed up what the Bible says. Our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. See, what we clearly see in Scripture is that God, the creator of all human life, has connected biological nature and sexual identity. Sex and gender were never meant to be separated. And as we read earlier, the Apostle Paul makes this compelling case from God's revelation in nature in Romans 1. And I just want to quickly look at that once again. Romans 1, verses 19 to 20, Paul explains that God's divine nature is revealed in the physical material universe. He says, what may be known about God is plain because God has made it plain to them, that is, to the world around us, in the world around us. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse when they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images or when they exchange the truth about God for a lie. And worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, Paul is saying something pretty profound here. He's saying that the material, physical universe around us reveals God's true nature and His design for people, which is to worship Him. That's what God has designed us to do. And then, and this is the key to the transgender issue, Paul draws a a striking parallel with human sexuality in verses 26 and 27. Look at this. See, just as physical nature around us reveals the truth about God's identity, so our physical nature reveals the truth about our sexual identity. Who, Who we should worship is not supposed to be determined by how I feel or what I feel like, and neither is our sexual identity. Both are determined by God's revelation in nature. That's Paul's argument here. See, Paul says, even their women, oops, I got to go back one, even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another." men committed shameful acts with other men. By the way, the Greek word translated natural here, do you know what it means? It means the underlying constitution or or inner makeup of a person, how we've been knit together, how God has knit us together. The parallel Paul is making is this. On one hand, cosmology, which is the science of the origin and development of the universe, that's designed by God to reveal the truth about God's identity as creator. He's powerful. He's divine. We know that. And on the other hand, biology, our anatomy, is designed by God to reveal the truth about our identity as His creations, as male and female. And this truth is so apparent, so plain That Paul says we are without excuse if we don't recognize it and agree with it. And so here, Paul draws this parallel between the way nature teaches the truth about God and the way nature teaches the truth about male and female sexuality. So, to, to bring it back to the issue here, if a person looks at the world and chooses to worship a creature or a created thing rather than God the creator, they're without excuse. And if a person looks at their own body and chooses to play the part of or try to become another gender, they are without excuse. In both cases, they're exchanging the truth about God and ourselves for a lie. Who we are designed to worship God, and how we are designed sexually are both determined by God's revelation in nature. So, what we see here is that our biology points to God's design even when, even when that biology is obscured or hard to discern. And I'm sure we've all heard of of cases, cases of of abnormalities in, in newborn babies where, where both both parts are present, or, or it's very difficult to discern whether this is a boy or a girl. You see, there's no part of human life that hasn't been affected by sin and the brokenness it brings. I, I'm not sure. I, th- those are heartbreaking cases. Uh, I can't imagine the, the challenge that would be as a parent in a situation like that, but there are... There are tests that can be taken, genetic tests, to determine what what that baby, whether that's a male or a female, and, and I, would just, I would imagine that would be the best way to go about that. I, again, I'm, I'm not experienced in this area at all, but it would require the utmost prayer and care, and following, again, what we can see as God's design as best we can, and raising that child accordingly. But we must remember this, my friends, and I, I need to say this. No matter how severe the birth defects may be, every baby from the moment of conception is a complete, precious human life, fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God and the image of God, which means denying or trying to erase the biological, biological significance of our maleness and femaleness undermines God's design, the design that He has knit into the fabric of our being. Sin has twisted and distorted God's image in us, corrupted us to the core, broken us, and separated us from our Creator God, which is really, really bad news. But thanks be to God, there is really, really good news. God made a way for us to be put back together like Humpty Dumpty, recreated, redeemed, restored by faith in Jesus Christ, His one and only righteous Son, who being In fully nature, God took on flesh and gender and became one of us, a man who knew no sin, but became sin for us, like we talked about last week in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And he did that in order to pay the penalty for our sin, all sin in full, by willingly laying down his life on the cross, dying in our place. And it is only through repentance, only by turning away from our lives of sin in faith to God's one and only son, Jesus, that we can discover our true and ultimate identity as sons and daughters of the living God, which is what He is paid for so that we could be adopted through faith in Christ as His children. As followers of Jesus, as His church, as His bride, my friends, we must respond. I'm going to suggest three things. Number one, with conviction. We must respond with conviction We must stand up for and stand up on the truth of God's word that all people are created in the image of God and that our maleness and femaleness points us to an even deeper reality, to God's incredible design, which again is ultimately for our good and flourishing and for God's glory. God knows the painful disordering of our sexual desires that came with the fall So as Christians, we must bear witness to the goodness of what it means to live as God's creations and and goddesses of our own lives. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, the point is, we're all called to repentance And part of what repentance means is to receive and embrace the gender with which God has created us, even when that's difficult. But the gospel is good news, my friends, for men, women, boys, and girls, repentant sons and daughters, including those who are having trouble figuring out or accepting which one they are. But all of the conviction in the world won't matter, my friends, if we don't act with compassion. Compassion, because that's what Jesus did according to our statement, in everything we must seek to follow the example of Jesus and the apostles by speaking the truth in love. They were not afraid to call sin sin and boldly taught things that went against the culture of their day. But they were also quick to befriend and forgive sinners, sought to make the gospel clear and attractive to everyone and welcomed all seekers with patience and compassion. So then, we don't Laud and we don't loathe. We love as Christ loved us. Jesus loved people and so called them to leave their empty life of sin and find abundant life in Him, like He did with the woman caught in adultery in John 8. So we must be patient and compassionate with anyone experiencing same sex attraction or gender identity confusion, remembering that in this fallen and sinful world, all of us, every last one of us, are alienated in some way, from who we were designed to be. According to our statement, people who experience same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion, whether or not they engage in sinful sexual behavior, are image-bearers of Almighty God, and we are commanded to love them. Someone's sexual orientation, gender identity, or sexual behavior never justifies treating that person with any kind of abuse, hatred, belittlement, or mockery goes on to say this, people who have engaged in any kind of sin relating to, related to gender or sexuality can be saved and forgiven through Jesus Christ. Likewise, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians can put to death their sinful desires and live lives of victorious obedience to Him, whether or not they experience same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion. So in faithfulness to the Word of God, By the power of His Holy Spirit, let us reach out in love and compassion, remembering that we can't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. If if they're going to live like Christ, they need Christ to live in them first. Which means they need to hear the truth of the gospel spoken in love. Love defined by God, my friends. God who so loved this world in its brokenness that he made a way for us to be forgiven from our sin, set free, redeemed, and put back together, restored to wholeness through faith in Jesus Christ. So into this broken, confused world, let us stand up and speak the truth in love and so offer hope, hope that is alive because Jesus Christ is alive. He rose victorious from the dead in a glorified body, And, my friends, through faith in Him, so will we. So, with conviction, compassion, and great expectation, let us point forward to the ultimate culmination of the gospel, to the promise of the resurrection of these broken, confused, disordered bodies that is to come only through faith in Jesus Christ. In light of eternity and our own resurrection, may the world see and be compelled by our living hope and our sacrificial love. That they may be drawn by the Spirit to repent of their sins and turn in faith to Jesus, who by the way is coming again very soon. And when he does, these bodies they will be raised imperishable as Jesus was. Let me just close with these words from 1 Corinthians fifteen. These words of hope. And this is from the New Living Translation. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power, but thank God, thanks be to God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, these are challenging times in which we are living, and yet, Father... You do not leave us ill-equipped. You have given us everything that we need for life and for godliness, for the great commission and fulfilling it by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for your word that never changes. And Father, as faithful followers of Jesus, empower us this day, embolden us this day, to stand up and, and love Love this world to speak the truth in love to this world who needs to hear and see your love in action, who needs to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Father God, anyone, no matter what they have done, no matter where they are at or the way they think, anyone can find salvation through repentance, turning and believing in Jesus Christ for forgiveness. God, I pray today that we would be conduits of, of your love and grace, and that we would stand up and speak the truth and not be afraid no matter what happens in this world around us. Father God, that we would be bold and courageous. And Father, that you'd use us, that you'd use our witness by the power of your Holy Spirit that, that people, lost souls, would turn and find life in Christ, eternal life, abundant and free. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lead us today today. In the day, in the days ahead, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, Amen.
1: Amen. As we uh, close this morning, as we respond to the word that we've just heard, it's uh, only fitting that we would sing uh, a prayer of of consecration, remembering that we, what, a, how much of a blessing it is to be um, bearing the image of God and so would you stand uh, with us at this time as we sing refiner's fire and let's pray this prayer to do
0: The Lord's blessing. This is from Romans 16. Now, to Him who is able to establish you by the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for ages long past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey Him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord bless you.